All right. Okay, now you can stop and take your seats, all right? You began something that you will finish over a cup of coffee. All right, that's exactly why we're serving it at the end. So hold that thought, you know, make a note and uh, say hi to them or continue your conversation afterwards. All right, so we, um, we kind of kicked off a new series last week, sort of some introductory thoughts. So I guess today is like the official launch, if you want to call it that. Actually, I think even the week before last week, uh, uh, Mike unofficially launched it when he talked about one aspect of following Jesus, and that had to do with generosity. It even came through our, um, our confession time today as well. So, I mean, you know, being a disciple of Jesus, as I mentioned, even in the baby dedication, is not a Sunday thing, it's an all-day thing. So, you know, in many ways, we've been in the series all of our lives, at least the, the lives that we um, have committed and dedicated to Jesus. But nonetheless, let's call it week three. <laughs> so... Quick story. Uh, Travis and I, I mean, Travis is at that stage now where um, he can watch certain movies with me that doesn't frighten him. You know, I, I'm loving the season. Oh, hey, Travis, I know you're watching online. Hi, my boy. Hopefully you are. Pop, I'll, I'll do a little quiz when I get home. Hey, yeah. <laughs> but he's at an age where, I mean, I'm loving being able to watch some, some comedies and some movies with him because uh, it's age appropriate. Uh, I love to do that with my boys. And so we, 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 we like to watch trilogies or sequels as well because it means we'll go back to watch the follow-up story. So we started with Shanghai Noon. Shanghai Noon, you guys know that? Well, that's an oldie, all right? That is, uh, that is like early 2000s, if not 1999, I don't know, somewhere around there. Uh, uh, Jackie Chan, yeah? And Owen Wilson, yeah? Right, yeah, Owen Wilson, eh? Everybody knows, the, he's like, what does he say? Wow, wow. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, so we had Owen Wilson and Jackie Chan, uh, you know, um, tell the story. Uh, Jackie is the, his character. I think it sounds like John Wayne, ironically, but it isn't. Um, he is uh, going from the east, traveling to the west because he's princess, you know, the emperor's daughter, you know, from the Forbidden City. He was kidnapped and he's one of the imperial guard or the royal guard and he volunteers to go and, and rescue her. But, you know, in that culture, there is a huge honor culture, submission to authority. And so then he arrives in the Wild West, okay? And, um, and when he finds the princess, or initially when she escapes, um, he, he tries to uh, uh, rescue her, and, and she tells him, you, you have to obey me, let me go. And actually, that's what he does, because you obey your, your superiors. Uh, and then, you know, he goes to rescue her based on a quest, and when he gets there... Um, yeah, you know, he does things the way that he's accustomed to in the East. And, and uh, Owen Wilson uh, is like, hey, buddy, you're not in the East right now. You're in the West. Okay, so actually, we don't roll this way over here. And so even when he finds the, the princess, like there's this, a, a moment where, where she is amongst other kind of refugees. And, and, and he, Jackie Chan, bows before. And she's like, please don't do that. You're going to... Get my ident- give my identity away and all the others that are from the east that are kind of refugees and, and, and the labor camps realizes the princess, they all bow down because that's the way it's supposed to be. There's this honor, there's this submission to authority and leadership. Um, but right at the end of the movie, uh, uh, I, I can't remember the exact details, but there's a moment where Jackie Chan actually is insubordinate. And what he is saying to justify it is like, I'm not in the east anymore. 
I'm in the West, you know. And I thought about it. I thought maybe that's a little bit of what's happening in the Western world where authority and submission to lordship, especially when we talk about Christianity, Jesus being king. What does it mean to be a disciple? It's to say, I am the student and Jesus is the teacher. And so I wanted to talk just about the lordship of Jesus, that he is not just Lord. I mean, he is God and therefore he is Lord um, today. That is pretty much the, the, the main uh, um, main point. And I want to read from John chapter 10. I'm just going to read three verses where Jesus interacts with the Pharisees. And, uh, and this is what it says. Uh, John, 3, uh, sorry, John 10 verse 30 to 33 says this. Um, I and the Father are one. This is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. I and the Father are one. And so the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. And this is all over the New Testament. The claims of Jesus all over the Gospels. Jesus came, of course, into a Jewish culture where the idea actually of God coming down to earth in human flesh was actually scandalous. No wonder they picked up the stones to stone him. They were not pantheists. In other words, they didn't believe that God was in everything. They were not polytheists. In other words, uh, saying, well, there are many gods of which Jesus could perhaps be one of them. No ways. Monotheists. And Jesus, to claim that, was a big deal. But Jesus did teach in such a way that even one of his disciples, Peter, exclaimed, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Matthew 16, 16. And even when Jesus died on the cross, a Gentile, a Roman executioner, watched the manner in which Jesus died, and he declared in Matthew 27, Surely he was the Son of God. And so it was what others said, but I want to focus you know, primarily on what Jesus said about himself. So that's the first point. Jesus said so himself. You saw that in John chapter 10, but let's double click on that a little bit more. There are so many gospel accounts of where Jesus makes this plain that actually you would have to cut out almost every page if you want to deny it. And if you look at the end of the Gospels, Jesus was not crucified for what he did. Even in this moment, he challenges the Jews, saying, are you going to stone me for my good works? He wasn't crucified for the, what he did, for his actions. He was crucified for what he said about himself. So Jesus claimed that he was God. You can check it out in the New Testament. Join us on Alpha if you want to journey a little deeper into that. The reality is that Jesus' enemies, as we saw in here, didn't even deny his claims to be God. That's exactly why they picked up the stones. That's why they conspired to kill him. We read John chapter 10 here, but if you rewind in John chapter 5, they started this plan to execute Jesus already there when they heard Jesus saying, God is my father and therefore making himself equal with God. So they accused him of blasphemy in Mark chapter 10 too because in there he said he can forgive sins. And they were saying, well, only God can forgive sins. And so sometimes it's explicit and other times you read between the lines. But Jesus made it clear, and his enemies didn't deny him, deny it. That's why they were out to kill him, and ultimately did. As we read in John chapter 10, 
31, we just read it now, it says they picked it up again. So this is not the first instance where they wanted to stone him. The first time actually uh, where Jesus said this in John, is in John chapter 8, uh, where they wanted to stone him. And he said this, he said, before Abraham was, I am. He said to, I mean, this is the Jewish audience, right? Abraham is like a big deal for them, right? The father of their faith. He says, before Abraham was, I am. That's 2,000 years before Jesus made that statement. Abraham was alive. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. And when he said, I am, he was also using the name that God gave to Moses when he introduced himself to Moses in the burning bush. bush. Um, and, and, and that's profound because Jesus is basically saying, listen, I introduced myself to Mo on that day. I mean, can you, these, what they must have thought. You, you know, we, we know where you were born. You claim to be God. Can you, can you understand they didn't deny that he was claiming it. And so that was the ultimate ground for his execution. So you can say whatever you want about the enemies of Jesus. One thing they did get right, they understood perfectly clear what he meant. I, Jesus said, I am Yahweh. I am the God of Israel. I am the one true God. I am the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Okay? And again, in a pantheist uh, in society where there's lots of little gods, you know, if you want it to rain, there's a water or a sky god, you know, if you want to be fertile, there's a fertility god. And, and, and in the claims that the Old Testament made is that there is none like God. He's above. In other words, the things that you sacrifice to, the idols that you sacrifice to, to get rain or to be fertile, actually the one true God is the one who reigns and rules all of creation. Whether it's a drought or whether it's a harvest or whether it's fertility, he's in charge of it. That's the claim that the Old Testament makes. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm that God. I am Yahweh, the God of Israel, Jesus, the Messiah. And so therefore, if he is God, it changes everything for you and me. Because I opened up with this story about the East and the West. But the fact is, if Jesus is God, it doesn't matter when he spoke 2,000 years ago. It doesn't matter where he spoke in the Middle East. If he is God, it applies to all of creation and all of time. So everybody sitting in this room must bow their knee to the Lordship of Jesus. It is still true today as it, it was then. And when Jesus spoke to his disciples, he said, it was true 2,000 years ago when Abraham was, I am. So let's not get into this like, oh, you know, this is, uh, this is in the modern times, we can't take this. No, if he is God, it doesn't matter when or where, we must submit and serve him. And you may say, yeah, but surely I can just settle for his teachings. I mean, that's what this whole series is about. Disciple, you know, disciple is student, he's the teacher. But I want to make the point that he's not just a good teacher or a mere prophet. When someone came to Jesus in Mark chapter 10, it was a rich young ruler. He addressed Jesus as the good teacher. And Jesus confronted him. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. He, he didn't allow the, 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 the rich young ruler to settle for the good teacher hypothesis. He refused to let him treat him like that. He said, only God is good. He was referring to him being God. Otherwise, he was a pretty lousy teacher, if that's where you want to go, because the bedrock of his teaching was his claims that he... That he is God. Many people in history have claimed to speak for God, but very few. In fact, only Jesus claimed to be God authentically. And still others would upgrade Jesus from a 
preacher or a teacher, a good teacher, to a prophet, you know. So it's like, okay, well, let's give him a few more pips and stripes. Let's upgrade him to prophet. This week I had a great conversation with two Muslims and a, and a Hindu that were sitting around the table discussing Jesus. And I couldn't help it. I'm in my office. I'm over here and I'm like, all right, this is an invitation. You know, open the door. Hey, guys, how are you doing? Great. Listen, you got some questions about Jesus Turns out I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian minister. I'm happy to answer your questions. And so there we went. They're asking me about the deity of Jesus. We were in, in this conversation right now. And you know, the Muslims agreed that Jesus, according to them, according to the Quran, is a prophet. And I always find it fascinating that they never read the prophet's prophecies, which we find in the Gospels. These are the trustworthy historical sources. So it's often the first assignment I give to Muslims. Say, okay, well, if he's, a, if he's a prophet, then read his prophecies. Because you will find out that he claims himself to be far more than that. So, yeah, I talked about the Gospels is the, are the words and the actions of Jesus recorded for us. And we can trust them. You know, two of Jesus' 12 disciples wrote accounts of the Jesus as they knew him. Matthew and John, those two Gospels, they, they were on Jesus' team. They walked with him. One of the other followers of Jesus, Peter, called Simon Peter, he was an uneducated fisherman that God used profoundly, but he asked one of his educated friends, Mark, to actually write for him. And that's the Gospel of Mark. We believe that you know, Peter was the one behind that, relaying that to Mark as he wrote it down. And then shortly after that, we have a very educated Greek, so not a Jew, a Greek doctor named Luke. He lived in a multiracial city in Antioch. In our Seeing Jesus Together uh, a journal, we are currently at that section in the book of Acts where the, where the church is established in Antioch. And he did investigative journalism. All right, For about two years, he interviewed the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life. And he wrote it down for us in his gospel, the gospel of Luke. He's also the one who wrote the book of Acts, by the way. And so, maybe you have an objection again to this. Maybe you're listening online, exploring Christianity. You say, yeah, but these were obviously written with a bias. They were too close to Jesus. They can't be objective. Man, that's, that's strike two today, hey? That's strike two. I mean, that sounds pretty serious. I would have ignored that call, but that one sounds like you better pay attention. <laughs> All right, let's let this class. All right. you, you with me again? <laughs> so your objection may be, ah, they're too close to contrast what they say. But this is what R.C. Sproul says. I love it. He says, if these first-hand witnesses can't get me to the real Jesus, who can? Think about your life. If not through your friends and your loved ones, how can you be known? How can you be known? And so I, I believe we can trust it. But more so, what gives these accounts credibility is that they died for these claims. They died for what they wrote down and believed. Uh, I'm going to quickly just read a C.S. Lewis uh, quote, who actually went back and investigated the claims of Jesus himself. And this is what he said. Uh, the quote on, on here is shorter than the one on my page. I'm going to read from here. C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, you know, he said, a man, and by the way, I think he came to faith because he spoke to uh, J.R. Tolkien about Jesus and went back and investigated, and this is what he writes. He says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd be crazy on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg. Or else he would be the devil of hell. Why? Because he would be deceiving people. He's either nuts or he's a liar. He says, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman 
or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and claim him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher, very British, you know? He has not left that open to us. He did not intend it to. And if you doubt that, I would encourage you, start with the Gospels. Start reading the Gospels. Start reading the book of Acts. So we have a choice. Either we, all of us, we reject him or we revere him. And I want to encourage you, just read the words of Jesus. And you would end up worshiping too, worshiping him too. You'll see a few things. I'm just going to highlight four or five of them. You'll see, obviously, his teachings. Not only respected people in the West like what Jesus said and wants to categorize him as a good teacher, but even uh, in, in the East and other parts of the world, Gandhi, he was a Hindu, he said of Jesus, he's one of the greatest teachers humanity has ever had. And I remember reading, I think it's one of Josh McDowell's books, um, where he mentioned that psychiatrists and psychologists, if you had to take all of the authoritative articles on mental health or mental hygiene ever written, you would probably come up with a summarized version of the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Are these, you have to ask ourselves, the teachings of someone that's crazy? Because remember, in addition to those great teachings, calling us to live a certain way, he claimed to be God. Jesus' character, as you read the historical account of his life, man claiming to be God were clearly not easy, as we even saw in John chapter 10. They were out to get him. One little moment of weakness could have debunked his claims. One little slip-up. And yet we have no record of that. You just have to follow me around for three and a half minutes. All right? To, 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 to make that kind of claim and then to never overstep. I mean, what is more profound is the family of Jesus. His mother and his brothers worshipped him. Hey? The one crowd that you cannot fool are the ones closest to you. You know, your wife, your husband, your children. And they worshiped him as God. Just before Jesus' death, he finds himself self-sacrificially washing his feet. He's on his way to the cross, but he serves his disciples. In that crowd are people that would betray him, people that would uh, uh, abandon him, and he serves them. That's incredible character. On the cross, he's hanging there, and he prays for his enemies, falsely accused. He, you know, they are made, made up stories, like hurling insults at him, and he prays for his enemies. Incredible character. Peter, as I said, one of his closest disciples, he said this in 1 Peter chapter 2, 22. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. As I said, nobody wanted Jesus to mess up more than the, the, the Jewish priests, and yet they could only sentence him to death for his claims to be God and not for his character, what he, how, how he served, how he lived. There's Jesus' miracles. They're all over the New Testament. And Jesus himself said in John 10, a little later, a few verses down from what we read, he said, if you don't believe on account of what I say, at least believe on account of what I do. These miracles, they point, they legitimize my claim that I am God. And again, his enemies never denied that he turned water into wine, that he healed lepers, that he walked on water, that he fed multitudes, that he raised the dead. And then there's the resurrection, or merge the last two, and, his, and the history that follows as a result. 
Again, I want to invite you to our Alpha Film series. If you have friends who, who, who wrestle with the claims and teachings of Jesus, Alpha is a great place to double-click on this reality of his resurrection. Of course, over Easter, it's coming in April, we'll hone in on the resurrection, so we won't spend a lot of time here. But guys, just to say, you know, 12 or 120 disciple, faithful followers of Jesus hide behind locked doors when he was crucified and buried. And then what happens a few days later? They are convinced that they had seen Jesus and they were not just willing to die for it. Many did die for that reality. It leaves a great hole in history, as one Cambridge professor said. A hole the size of the resurrection and it's very difficult as a secular historian to patch up that hole with anything else but the reality that Jesus is alive. And as I said, they were willing to give their lives for this. And it's not just a, a truth that we could just put on the shelf in our day, you know, a Western style of a sort of all-inclusive relative truth that adds Jesus to the shelf of all the other things that we believe. No, the claims they died for and they proclaimed is that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only source of life and salvation. If you look at history in the... Uh, Second and third generation, uh, uh, sorry, second and third um, century. So I just want to make sure I'm still tracking. I think I am. Wow. I surprised myself even. <laughs> In the uh, second and third century, um, there were a lot of persecution that Christians underwent. And one of the reasons was because the Roman emperor didn't want anybody or anything or anyone to claim to be above Caesar. It would maybe you know, incite some uh, uh, crisis if there's a national emergency and so on. And so actually once a year, people needed to declare Caesar is Lord. The emperor is Lord in some kind of ceremony. And many Christians died as a result of refusing to do that. And then the unexpected happened where an emperor decided to stop the persecution and so he offered a statue of Jesus to be put in the pantheon of all the other gods to kind of saying, okay, you know, son of goodwill, Jesus is now accepted as a legitimate God. And they rejected that as well because they would not, say, would not add Jesus onto the shelf of many ideas. He, is, he alone is God. He is the only way, the only truth, the only life. And so we can't, and no one can, pull off what Homer Simpson does. I don't know if you remember The Simpsons. I don't even know if it's still on TV, but you know, there's this one funny meme where he's you know, about to die and he yells out, I'm going to die. Jesus, Allah, Buddha, I love you all. You know, like that's, that's a very Roman way of seeing it. No, Christians said, no ways. That's not the way forward. And here's the fact, friends. Jesus said he's God. If what he says about himself is true, then we have to just stop for a moment and go, okay, then what he says about you and me is true as well. Things that he teaches about us is true too. Jesus said that we are sick and we need healing. Jesus said that we are lost and we need finding. Jesus said that we are dead in our sins and we need resurrection life. And so I want to say to uh, this church, maybe you're listening online, uh, that before we dive into this disciple series of what it means to follow Jesus today, follow the one true God today, before you can truly serve Jesus as his disciple, you need to be saved by Jesus. You need to be saved. Only one man in history taught that salvation relies not on his teaching, but on his claims, his identity. Why is that? 
Why is that so important that you must believe that Jesus is God? Well, because all sin, if God created us, and when we hurt one another and sin against one another or just sin in, in whichever way, it's always against our Creator. It's against God. Then the only way out for us is for God to forgive us. I can't forgive sin committed against Tanya. Only Tanya can forgive those sins. And it's not, it's not actually the way we think when we think, well, God must just forgive because that's what God should do. Really? You don't live your life like that. When there's terrible injustice, you want to see justice done. You can't just say, oh, well, you know, that, that's, that's not how you live your life. And you get your sense of justice from the Creator, for, by the way, if you feel that way. So don't put that on God. Only God can forgive it. And so Jesus, God's Son, asked actually three times, God the Father in the, in the, in the, uh, in the garden, if the world somehow could be saved without Him having to die on the cross. And He was denied that. He rose to His feet with a conviction that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without giving his life on behalf of us, we would not be forgiven. See that in Matthew 26, Hebrews chapter 9. Peter even, his disciple, tried to persuade Jesus, saying, no, 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 you, you can't die. It's okay, I'll protect you. And actually Jesus turned around and said to him, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And so when we talk about Jesus dying on the cross for us, when we talk, these are the things of God. This is the wisdom of God. We have to stop and pay attention. Because if you're going to use man-made arguments, you're gonna, you're gonna, it's not going to make sense. But here, hear what Jesus did. No one else can pay for your sin committed against God, but God alone. And that is what Jesus did. He paid in full. On that cross for our sins, we committed high treason against the king of the universe, against Jesus. And he loves us so much that he came to earth. And he lived that perfect life to be the, the proper substitute so he can die in your place and in my place and pay for that sin in full. Only God on the cross could sort that out. No one else. They could only die for their sins. But God could die for our sins. And it's, and it's an amazing thing that he accomplished there. Luke 23. It's the account of Jesus hanging on the cross next to these two criminals. And Jesus could promise one of them. This guy had no time left for any religious endeavors. He couldn't get down and live a good life. But in that moment, he believed that Jesus was who he claimed to be. King of kings, Lord of lords. God. And Jesus said to him, today, you'll be with me in paradise. So yes, Jesus is a good teacher, but he's not asking you to follow his teaching so that if you do really well, you have a, a place with him. No. In many ways, he lived his life to show you how impossible it is. He raised the bar, the standards of the law, you'll see in the Sermon on the Mount, to show that you need a savior not just any say, you need God to save you. And Jesus cried out at the end, it is finished on that cross when he breathed his last. That is good news. All of our efforts to climb this ladder to reach 
a holy God. We can put it aside. He did it for us. He brings us to God. He is God. And why would he do that? I, I always stop and, you know, I understand this sort of the, theology, and, uh, but, but I often have to just stop and remind myself, what kept him on that cross? What kept him in that garden obeying the Father? Lord, if possible, could this cup pass me by? I know the cross is ahead of me. Please, is there another way? There's only one way. What, what kept him? It's his love. It's his love. He's not some cosmic accountant who just wants to balance the books so he can sleep better at night. He loves you. Jesus himself said when they tried to def defend him on the night of his betrayal, he stopped. He said, hey, don't you think I can summon a legion of angels to my rescue? He's God. He could have done that. We know that angels attended Jesus in the wilderness, 40 days of fasting, resisting Satan. We know angels attended him. We know angels attended him in the garden, okay? So I know that he could have snapped his fingers and a thousand angels could have come to his rescue and he would not be crucified, but he went through it. He hung on that, hung on that cross, nails in his hands and in his feet, suffocating in pain. And they yelled at him, save yourself. But he knew that if he climbed off of that cross, he would save himself, but we would not be able to be saved. So it wasn't nails that kept him on that cross. It was love for you and for me. And I want to leave that with you as the big idea, friends. As disciples, yes, we want to be devoted disciples. We want to follow Jesus. We want to obey his commands. But you can't be devoted and love Jesus unless you receive the love from Jesus. That's the way. That's the, way. That's the bedrock of this, this, um, this series. Yes, he's, a, he's Lord. But let him save you and see that behind his act of self-sacrifice is love for you. Such love for you. While every um, eye is closed and you know, some of your heads are bowed, I, I just want this to be a moment where no one's distracted. I want you to hear at least these last couple of sentences. This is a, this is a, this is a, a moment where we are faced with the lordship of Jesus, that he is God, that he is holy, that he is the creator of the universe. The way the New Testament describes Jesus, that he fills all things, in like he is majestic, he is perfect. And, 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 and at the same time, we, are, we learned that he came near, he came close. And as John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his son. It is the love of God that is inviting us to come close. Only in the gospel can a perfect, holy, majestic God come near to sinful people. Only because of what he did on that cross. Our sin is not held against us. And so we can have this moment now of deep intimacy with the king of the universe. It should not be, but it's true. So Lord, we just want to sit under that reality for a moment. And we thank you, Jesus, that you sent your spirit as you ascended into heaven, resurrected king. You poured out your spirit 
on your followers, on those who declare you as king, as resurrected Lord. You poured out your spirit upon them to make the love of God known to us, to shed abroad the love of God in our hearts. And would that happen now? We ask that we would be floored by your love. That as we look at the things you command us to do, Jesus, it would be a response to your great love for us. We won't obey you so that you would love us. We know you loved us first and therefore we find ourselves obeying, looking intently at what you ask of us to do as a church. That's because you have captured our attention with your love, with what you did for us on that cross. We linger here for a moment, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Convince us of your great love for us. Help us, Lord, as we journey through this series that we never lose sight of this reality. Love you, Lord. If you journey with us tonight, maybe you online, you're intrigued by the claims and teachings of Jesus, you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, I want to invite you to you know, keep coming to City Gates or otherwise March 22nd, we'll ask these questions in greater detail. Journey with us on Alpha. Or if you, if, if you were invited by someone, they'll be happy to talk through this reality as, with you as well. We'd love for you to bow your knee to our King, Jesus, and find life and forgiveness and love at the foot of our Lord. Amen. Okay.